God, I pray, Father, that today, Lord, that these four verses, Lord, this meat that you have for us to chew on, God, would just be tasty. Father, that it would be rich. Father, that we would uh, have something, Lord, to feast on all week. God, for those of us, Lord, that are coming in, Lord God, with just a time, Father, being downtrodden, I pray, Father, that today would be an encouragement and lift them up, Lord God. Father, for those of us that are just coming in, just so excited about what you want to say, Lord, I pray, Father, that it would just be, that the word that you want to speak, Lord, would be spoken loudly into our ears. God, however we come in, however, whatever place we find ourselves in, I thank you, Lord, that we can all come to the table, that we can all come to your word, Lord, equally, and, and know, Lord, that you're going to speak to us individually. And so, God, I, I thank you, and I pray, Father, today that you would do just that, God. Get me out of the way, Father, I pray. We want to hear from you today. Pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Hey, so while I was praying, I realized everybody want to take out their cell phone and make sure that it's turned off. Now that I'm teaching, I forget to do it. So I'm thankfully haven't gotten a text in the middle of it. Yeah, so there's that. Okay, last week. We looked at the second half of the Beatitudes. You guys remember? For those of you that were here, we looked at all the Beatitudes over the last two weeks, and we've kind of discussed the fact that these were things that Jesus was saying that were radically countercultural to the day. And they're still radically countercultural to today, right now. So they were radically countercultural then when he was saying them. And as we look around now, they're still radically countercultural. The fact is, guys, is that what we are seeing here are things that should be true of every disciple. Right? Jesus didn't say, like, didn't go through and say the Beatitudes and then be like, you know, you know, just do your best and try to aim for them. And, right? Because none of these things are something that we're just going to aim for and hit the mark on. The idea of it, the, the idea behind it is, is that through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the way that we're walking with God day by day, that these things will become more and more true in our lives. And so today we're going to look at just kind of what all of these beatitudes mean and what that looks like lived out. And so just as a review real quick, we looked at all the different beatitudes, being poor in spirit, meaning realizing you can't do it on your own to begin with. I love that he started there because it's just such a relief, isn't it? Like, whew, all the rest of them. I don't have to worry so much. The idea is, is to come in with the knowledge, man, I can't do this anyway. God help me. That's the whole point. The second one, being meek. Meek does not mean weak. Meek means power under control. It means you don't have to win every argument. You don't have to be right in every situation, even if you are right. You can just be. It's okay. Because it speaks so much louder a lot of times, especially in today's culture on Facebook and things like that, than winning the argument, doesn't it? Hungering and thirsting for righteousness. If you're living a life that is hungering and thirsting after what God has said in his word, if you're hungering and thirsting for a right life from God's perspective, that's a good place to be. That's one of the Beatitudes. That should be true of us as believers. Being merciful, right? Not giving everybody what they deserve. Again, it really applies heavily, doesn't it, to the whole social media and the political climate that we're in today. These things are so applicable to us. Having a pure heart, which is, again, not something that, remember, as you read all through these, if you're like, oh, Lord, I can't have a pure heart. I'm not capable of that. Okay, read number one, right? 
be poor in spirit and recognize that you can't do it and ask him to purify your heart. We're called to be peacemakers. And then the last thing he tells us in this first section that we read over the last couple of weeks is this. That if you are doing these things, if those are true in your life, if God is growing in your life and these are becoming more and more true, then you can expect a problem. You can expect the world to not like that. So you should expect persecution and you should expect evil things to be said of you falsely. That's what he says. So any denomination, any preacher that you hear that's like, you know, you want your best life now? Just have it. It's yours. All you got to do is believe it and it'll be there. No, that's exactly the polar opposite of what Jesus says. He says, if you want your best life, live a life for me. And that will mean a lot because there's going to be persecution in your life and there's going to be hardship in your life and things won't necessarily look smooth for you. Everyone said, amen. Yeah. Right. No, that's, that's also why Jesus said later on in the gospels, count the cost. Know what you're signing up for. I think it's important for us to hear that and to know that because as Christians, guys, far too often today, I don't know how many times I hear, well, I don't believe in God anymore because I went through a hard time. Well, you didn't believe in God to begin with because God never promised an easy time. Let's dig in. Verse 13. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. He says, you are the salt of the earth. Notice he doesn't say every once in a while you're the salt of the earth. You might be a little salty someday and then you'll be completely bland the next day. He's saying emphatically, right? As a matter of fact, you are the salt of the earth. Why? What's the point of that, right? That doesn't that sound weird. We're a table condiment, <laughs> Right, But let's, let's look at this. Salt, and especially in the times of Jesus, served a ton of purposes. It was used as a table condiment, as something that flavored food. It was used as a preservative to keep meat from rotting. It was used to clean wounds for Roman soldiers. Can we all say amen and thank you, Lord, for natural anesthetic today, right? And modern medicine and all those things, antibiotics, because that had to hurt, <laughs> Someone cut you completely down your chest? Here, let's pack it with salt. (laughs) Right? That'll sanitize it. And it did sanitize it, but oh, at what cost? Oh, my goodness. It was used as the primary method of payment for a Roman soldier. Isn't that crazy? We think money, right? We think that there was all this gold and stuff, transactions, stuff, and some of that was there. And some of the booty of, of a battle that they would have, they would get to spread that out. But there were so many Roman soldiers that none of that really meant anything. Their primary form of payment was salt. That's how valuable that was. So think about that. It's actually where we get the phrase, you're worth your salt. That's where that came from, was from Roman soldiers. It's saying like, man, you did a great job on the battle. You're worth your salt today. The final thing it was used for when it was no longer used, useful for anything else, is that it was used to walk on in order to prevent slipping. You guys, I studied this, and I don't know. I'm I'm so excited someday to go to Israel, and I'm praying, Lord willing, we all get to go before he comes back. But if he doesn't, we'll get to see it in the millennial kingdom. So either way, we're going. But the point is, is that, you know, I learned this as I studied this week, and I thought this was interesting. In the court of women, so you had the, the temple, right? And so you have the, the court of the Gentiles, which is where Jesus is going to, we're going to read about later, right? Like whips and gets everybody out of there because they were selling everything and taking up the only space 
that was available for a non-Jew to come and worship God. Right? But they had the court of Gentiles, and then inside of that, you had the court of women. And then the court of women were these four kind of pillars that were built equally. They all looked the same on all four corners. And in one of those like hollowed out like tower things, they had nothing but salt. Because every once in a while, it snows in Jerusalem. And so whenever it would snow or whenever it would get cold and icy, they would use it. They would go in there and just spread it around to make sure that nobody fell. But that was literally the final destination for the salt. If you think about it, what we spread around on the driveways and stuff, we're not going to be like, oh, scrape that up, man. I want to put that in my shaker for later, right? (laughs) Like, we don't do that. And, I mean, yes, I get it. It's mixed with calcium and blah, 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 blah modern day. But I'm talking about just the idea. We're not going to take what we would call salt for the road and put it in our food. Or we're not going to take salt for the road, pick it up off the road and put it in a wound. We're not going to do any of those things because it's worth nothing at that point. It's on the road. It's meant to be driven on. So what was Jesus saying to us as disciples? He was saying, you are the salt of the earth. It isn't something that we have, that we are one day and not the next. It's something that we are, period. He was saying that as you walk with him, guys, that's the point. You're going to be salt. You're going to be salty. He's saying you're going to be savory and interesting to the world, the bland, bland world around you. Right? You're going to look different. You're going to speak different. You're going to be something that people are going to be like, that's, that's different. That's, what is that? Like, what, why would you say that that way? Or why would you not say that thing? Or why would you not join in on this conversation as we're talking bad about someone? Or what is happening that you're so different than all the rest of us? You're savory. You have a different flavor about you. The other thing you are is a preservative to the rot in this world. Let that sink in. This world's getting more rotten by the day. You're a preservative. The church is a preservative. Think about that, because when we get into the book of Revelation and we see that the raptures happen, if that's your eschatology, that you believe that we're going to be raptured, which I do, and this church believes, but there are people that don't, and that's fine, right? Whenever we're on the way up, I'll be like, ha-ha, we're right. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> but no, but like the idea of that is, the concept of that is, is that when it's gone, the tribulation is not going to have a preservative. There's not going to be a preserving uh, anything here. The Holy Spirit will be lifted up off the earth, and guys... If the world's rotten now, imagine if there was not one human being in your workplace that was saying, that's not right, guys. We shouldn't do that. Where would it go? I think it would go downhill quickly. The other thing is, is that you're going to sometimes be the sting that sanitizes. Sometimes you're going to be the sting that sanitizes the wounded and bleeding world around you. Why? How? By speaking truth. We know the book of Proverbs, right? It says that, man, like a fit word is like a healing balm to the soul. Well, that doesn't always mean it's a fit word in the sense of like, here's the little bandage and it's all nice and merciful. Sometimes it means like, no, you need to hear this. I'm scrubbing you out. Right? And sometimes it's exactly what's needed. We need to scrub the rot out. We need to get rid of this rot. And guys, we are that as the church. That's what Jesus is saying. He's also saying that you're going to be worth your salt, meaning that when you're in your workplace, guys, you're going to work harder than that other guy that doesn't know the Lord. Not because you want to be special or look better or get the promotion, but because you're doing your work for God. 
And if you do it that way, I promise you, and I'm talking from experience here. When I was in the military, it drove me crazy sometimes because everything in my heart, when everybody was talking about so-and-so and and Sergeant so-and-so and and how he does nothing but gets away with it and looks good because he sucks up at the right time, right? I wanted to join in that. But the other part of that and the thing that saved me from jumping into those conversations was this. I'm not doing my work for them. I'm doing my work for God. So I'm going to work hard. And if Sergeant so-and-so gets a promotion before me or gets some commendation off my back, I'm cool with that because God saw it all. I'm not saying I did that perfectly, by the way. But the reality is, is that's true, right? We should be worth our salt at work. We should not be the guy that everyone's saying, oh, Sergeant so-and-so or that guy right there, man, he gets away with everything because he doesn't do anything. If that's you, oh, goodness, you're not worth your salt. The other thing I want to say is that if we're going to be worth our salt as believers, we're going to keep our word. I wasn't going to add that in. And as I prayed about this message, I kept thinking, you know, in the church today, one of the things you see so often is that people do not keep their word. They say they're going to be somewhere and they're not. And guys, I'm talking to me too, because I guess what? I have ADHD. That's an easy excuse to say I'm never on time. That's an easy excuse to say, like, I completely forgot to call you back when I said I would. So I'm talking to me too. But man, if I want to be the salt of the earth, if I want to be worth my salt, I've got to say, Lord, if I give my word, please help me to keep it. Please help me to be a man or a woman of my word. In my case, a man. Right? Be a man of my word. For you guys, be a person of your word. It matters. It makes you worth your salt to people around you. It speaks loudly to them that you care more about them than you care about you. And then what was Jesus saying? He was saying, look, if if none of these things are true, if your life doesn't have any reflection of the Beatitudes, if you're not being the salt of the earth, well, then you're good for nothing. You're no longer salty. And now let's cover something. I think Jesus, who created chemistry, understood chemistry, right? Because we know that sodium chloride is actually a stable element, so it never truly loses its salt. That's why we can take anything and pretty much chuck it on the road if it's salt, and it will melt something because it never loses its saltiness. So what was he really saying here? Because, you know, he's, he was more aware of chemistry than we are. I love it when people, that's one of the areas of scripture that people are like, see, he didn't understand science. He created science, you guys. He gets it. So let's like, let's examine his words to figure out what he meant. What Jesus was saying was something completely different. He was actually using this word. When we read here, it says, if the salt loses its flavor, that word in the Greek is moreno. It's actually where we get the word moron from. It means foolishness. So now think about it in that light. He's saying that literally he's saying that if the salt becomes foolish, How shall it be seasoned? He's speaking of human beings here. He's saying, you, human being, you are the salt of the earth. You, disciple, are salt of the earth. So if you lose your saltiness, if you become foolish, if you live like a moron in the world around you, meaning you live just like the world, there's nothing different about you. You're not worth anything. Guys, if we're just like the world, we're completely walking in foolishness. We're no longer flavorful at all. How can we be? How can someone look at a life that looks exactly like theirs and say, man, what am I, what's different about that person? Nothing. He claims or she claims this relationship with Jesus, but she looks just like me, so I guess I don't need one. It's, it's kind of sad. I actually read an article about um, 
these pastors from like huge mega churches that are falling into sin and doing all these things. And this, this article, guys, was from a, a reputable uh, magazine company, but it was a secular guy who says right up front, like, I do not believe in any of this. I'm an atheist, but he's like, but the funny thing is, is he's like, as I look around and I see different pastors that are falling into sin and, and look at their lives and look at their ministry and their Instagram following and all these things, he said, I think they want to be more like me than they want me to be like him. That was, that was that writer's assessment. And as I read it, it broke my heart because I'm like, God forbid that that would be true. And it is true. It's so sad. And I'm not even naming all the things that are flowing through my head for the Instagram pastors or the, I'm going to name one, preachers with sneakers and all these different places that you can go look and see. All these pastors are living high on the hog and they've got all these great things and it looks a lot like any other Instagram person that's got a lot of money and is living a life of luxury. And that's not us. That's not Jesus. Man, we should look different. You guys, if we've lost our flavor, we're just as bland and flavorless as the lost world around us. What's the point? I want you guys to let that sink in because the fact is, is these beatitudes are not suggestions. They're literally the outpouring of a walk with the Lord. They're literally are the result of walking with God day by day is that we're going to become and look and say, man, Lord, thank you for teaching me meekness. I did not have that a year ago nearly as much as I have it now. God, thank you, Father, that I'm learning more and more to be merciful as I understand the mercy you pour out on me all the time. God, that I could be patient with people that I used to not be able to. Those are the results of a life lived out for him. And can I say to you guys, if you're here today and your life looks just like always, keyword, always looks just like the world around you, can I tell you something? Are you foolishly walking in a sense of actually being in a relationship with God? That's a hard question. I was talking with a gentleman the other day when I was getting my hair cut, and it made me sad because I asked him, I'm like, oh, man, do you go to church anywhere? Like, what's your, you know, do you know Jesus or what's that? And he's like, man, I believe in Jesus. And I, yeah, and, and all that. And like, he was like on fire. And I was like, that's awesome, man. Praise God. What church do you go to? He's like, I don't. I don't go to church because it's all about politics and stupidity. And I'm like, oh, wow, that's, that's a shame. I'm like, man, that's, that's hard, man, because then you're all by your lonesome and the enemy can just eat your lunch. He's like, no, I'm strong, man. I got this. I got this. And then as we continued to talk, it became this idea of like, well, I really don't, you know, I believe in Jesus personally, but I'm not going to tell anybody else that they're wrong. And, and he kept going in about like, oh, the, you know, if you're a Hindu, you're going to get to heaven. I mean, if you're a good Hindu, if you're a good Muslim, and, you're, and I'm like, so actually what you are then, brother, is a Baha'i faith. You're Baha'i. You just think they're all going to get there. I'm like, or a universalist. I'm like, you're actually not a Christian, man. I was like, that's sad. And so we had this conversation, and I can tell you it was a great conversation. I felt like the Lord was totally in it. And when I got done and I paid for this amazing haircut that he gave me, I was like, dude, I'll be back in a couple of weeks. I'll see you again. I can't wait to talk again because it's a relationship that I believe has started. But can I tell you, his life didn't look any different than the world. He just spouted out all the stuff that the world had. So when I walked away from that, if I wouldn't have known God, I would have been like, oh, so it doesn't matter. Nothing matters. Well, what good is that? Nothing. Guys, if you're foolishly walking in a sense of being in a relationship with him, can I tell you, think about it from this perspective. Jesus did this all the time. He spoke in parables. Guys, if you're married, if you got married and you lived your entire life like you were not married, 
wouldn't you eventually get to a point where you look at your wife or your spouse and say, do I even have a relationship with this person? I mean, I'm still out having sex with everybody I want to. I'm still out doing whatever I want. I don't really give a crap about what's happening to my spouse because I'm acting like I'm not married at all. Like I can still do whatever I want. That's not a relationship. And anybody that would look at that would be like, you're, what the heck? What's happening? (laughs) Right? Wouldn't they? If you're out at the bar and you're picking up chicks and you're doing all these things and that woman found out you're married, they'd be like, what? But that's how we treat God sometimes, isn't it? Don't we? Aren't we like, oh, I'm good. Yeah, let's party. Woo! Right? And then we're like, oh, but, and then I get drunk and talk about Jesus. I hear that a lot too. Whenever I was in the military and I would be a designated driver, everyone knew I was a Christian and I was there to protect them from themselves so they wouldn't get in trouble. And it was so funny how many conversations I had about Jesus. And what was so sad about it was is that they were so drunk, I knew they were going to remember it in the morning. It made me so sad. And so sometimes I would try to bring it up before they got drunk and they didn't want to have it because they were, didn't want to be convicted of something. Guys, we should be the salt. We should be salty. Our relationship with God should look like something to the world. It should. Here's the thing. Out of all this, because it sounds pretty condemnatory, right? Maybe some of you are here and you're like, man, my life, what the heck? God is faithful even when we're faithless. If you're struggling, guys, and you're striving, and you're here today, and I'm saying some of these things, and you're like, oh, man, right? Like, you know that that's just a hard thing for you. If you're watching online, and you're like, oh, you know, you're, you're totally reading my mail. Oh, my gosh. Well, can I tell you, the fact that that bothers you, the fact that you're struggling day by day, the fact that that's not a consistent all-the-time thing that is the explanation of your life tells me that you're salty. You might be a little less salty, and that's something that can easily be fixed. But here's the cool thing. Even if you might be here today and you might be like, dude, you're right. I'm acting like I'm not married. I'm acting like I'm not at all the bride of Christ. I don't really care about that, but I don't want that to be true of me anymore. It's an easy fix to regain your saltiness. It's easy. You repent. You repent. You say, God, forgive me for the way I've been living. Man, I don't want that to be true of me. And you turn around and you walk towards God. You immediately are salty again. Because again, refer back to the first thing, poor in spirit. You can't do it on your own anyway, you guys. It's amazing how quickly the enemy loves to take something and say, man, you don't want to hear that because that's hard to hear. And it's exactly what you need to hear. But the other flip side of that is, is that it's an easy fix because it's God that does the fixing, not you. I just want to say one last thing, guys, is that if you're here and that is you and you're sitting there struggling and you're like, man, you're on watching online and you're like, I don't know, I kind of like doing all the stuff I'm doing and I, I don't know if I'm quite ready to be like that. Can I tell you guys, don't continue to be a fool. I said this on Wednesday night. I'm going to say it again today. I saw it on Facebook. There's something good that came off Facebook. You cannot be the bride of Christ and the girlfriend of Satan. You can't. You can't be both. You have to choose. And I want to remind you guys that we, if you call yourself a Christian, you serve a very jealous God that says he will have no other little G God before him because he's the only big G God. There will be no other before him. So if you're being Satan's girlfriend, you need to cut that relationship off. Verse 14. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. 
nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Yet your light, or forgive me, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. You are the light of the world. That's again a statement of fact. He's making an emphatic statement and saying you are the light of the world. As a disciple, you're going to shine a light into the dark, dark world around you. You're going to shine a light. You should be shining a light. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Guys, what makes up a city? What makes up a city? What's different about a city? And if you've ever been through Nebraska, a farm that's sitting on 90 acres by itself, well, I'll tell you the difference. Dark and light. (laughs) A city is made up of a community of people that are living closely together and they're in community with each other, right? And that's what makes a city a city. And so you can see Boston or New York City or the best city in the world, Philadelphia. You can see that from a distance. You can see that as you drive into city. When we were living out west and we would drive from Idaho down to Vegas to go see the Blue Man Group or some amazing, awesome thing down there, right? When we would drive down in, you could see the light from the city from way out. Right? And the Luxor, that pyramid, you could see that thing from way, way out. Right? Like there's a lot of light. That's what makes a city a city. And so we're called to be a city on a hill, which means we should be shining brightly. We should be not hidden. But can I tell you guys that I believe that the Lord wants to say something to us today, specifically in light of COVID. And that is this. We shine brighter together. Church is not something that we do because we want to. It's something we are necessarily in need of. It is. And if that's not true and you prioritize every other thing above church, can I say you are all alone, you little sheep, and you're going to get eaten alive. And that makes me sad because, guys, that's what's happening. And I want to say something to you all that are watching online. You're here and you're watching. We're not talking about you. The people we're talking about aren't watching. There's a Barna study that I just read that's recent that was taken throughout these months from like March to like August, I think, was the time frame of the study. It was taken by people that professed a belief in Jesus Christ. And they said one out of three, one out of three people have stopped going to church, either in person or online. They've just stopped. One in three in a very short amount of space of time, guys. They're getting eaten alive. They're like my friend who was in the barbershop that started off attending a church and then didn't go. And now his theology and everything else are super whack because it's easy for the enemy to just come in and be like, oh, yeah, well, what? You know, the Bible's written by humans. Well, you're right, inspired by the Holy Spirit. And I find it so amusing that people say that. The Bible was written by humans. You believe that the God, creator of all the universe, creator of our sun, that if we get within a couple hundred miles of it, our body will be melted into nothingness. You believe that that big of a God can't write through people? Are you serious? Like, this is easy. (laughs) Sorry, side note. I'm just, I'm blown away by that because guys, God's word. It matters. And when his word says things like, do not forsake the fellowshipping of the saint, he means it. And he's not saying it because he wants to be you to be legalistic and be like, oh, you've come three out of the four Sundays, you bad human being. No, he's saying it because he knows who we are as humans. He knows our frailty. He knows, guys, that a log that's separated from the rest of a fire will go out. It goes out. 
And it's the same for us. If we want to be on fire for the Lord, guys, we need to be in community. We need to be in the bonfire of church. You guys, the enemy wants nothing more than to seclude us. Than to keep us alone. And so if you are watching online, I will say one thing to you. If you're there because of medical reasons, and I know plenty of you that are, and you need to stay home, we pray for you consistently. That God would keep you strong. We do our best to reach out to you as a church. We do what we can. And I'm not saying we do a great job because I'm sure we don't. And I'm sure we could do better. But the truth is, that's one thing. But I know plenty of people in this church that are like, yeah, I would rather watch online because it's easier. Well, get in the church. Because it's not the same. Online church is an oxymoron. It's a beautiful thing that technology affords us. But it's an oxymoron because church is humans. Church isn't a building. And church is definitely not the Wi-Fi. Church is us, humans, together, talking, sharpening each other, calling out crazy theology when someone says something crazy because you love them enough to show them the Bible and be like, that doesn't sound right, right? Like, we need that for each other. It helps us to shine brighter because the reality is, is that we're only together Right? Like if you look at the New Testament church, I wish this were true for us. It sounds to me like when you read an Acts, like, man, as soon as they got off work, they were together. They were hanging out. They were eating and breaking bread together. They were like hearing teaching. They were chewing on teaching. They were together all the time. And the reality is for us in America, that just can't happen. Right? It, it can't. Like it, we, have, <laughs> we have lives. We have all this stuff. So we have Sunday and Wednesday. We have Bible studies on Tuesday. We have all these opportunities that are afforded us, but it only... Are, they're only advantageous if we take advantage. Amen. And so we need to take full advantage of the times we have. And again, I'm not talking about legalism, guys. You know where you're at in your walk. I know for me. I'm studying, 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 but by Wednesday, I'm like, man, Lord, I need some people around me. Tuesday night, I get these guys together and they hammer on me and we work it out and we chew on it up, right? Like there's a pastor who'd be like, get together and chap it up. Right? That's what we do. We chop up God's word. We get together. We talk about it. We, we work on things together. And there's so much there that's so good that I'm like, oh, I can't. I can't go without it. I don't want to go without it. And I hope that that's our heart because, guys, if we want to be a light to the world, we need to be in the bonfire. We need to be here. We need to be together. And isn't it the way it always goes that when the enemy gets us alone, we stop shining When the enemy gets us alone, we start going back to those things that God has said to you. No, you need to get rid of that. You need to stop doing that. And those are the things we go back to because they're comfortable or we like them to begin with. Because we're hearing God's voice less and the world's voice more. You guys, the reality is, is that God intended his church God intended us to be disciples. He intended us to say, God, you are more important than everything. You are more important than everyone. You are it, God. And that will mean that I want to do nothing more than to have a relationship with him. I love my wife and I want nothing more than to to know her better. And in 15, almost 16 years of marriage, it's awesome that I can like say something stupid and she can look at me and I can know... I said something stupid, right? (laughs) That's awesome. And that came through time because before she would have to be like, honey, you said something stupid. Don't say it again, right? Like that took a conversation. Now it doesn't take one. Now she could just give me a look and I'd be like, oh, right? 
But that comes through time. And it's the same thing with God, guys. The more we walk with him, the more time we spend with our Lord and Savior, the more we're like, God, I love you. I want to know you. The more we begin to hear his voice, the more we can even know that he just doesn't even have to say anything. Because I know what God would expect of me here. It's awesome. And it comes through time. And guys, that's the point. And as we're doing that, I promise you, you will be salt. You will be light in this world that has no direction, that's just fumbling through the dark, that is so bland and boring. When I was in the military, do you know what the best conversation was on a Friday at my work was this? I got a kegger who's coming. <clears throat> Dude, really? Boring. Right? I used to mock him. I would come in with like two cases of Mountain Dew. Be like, I got two cases of Mountain Dew. He's coming. We're like, <laughs> you're talking about a liquid. Are you serious? That was what matters to you? That's so stupid. But that's what the world has because that's the best they can do. And so I want to be different. I want us as a, as a church to be different, to shine a light into this and say, you know what you're doing stinks because the next day you wake up with a headache. You know that one night stand really isn't fulfilling because now if you're a girl, you're worried about being pregnant. Or if you're a guy, you're wondering, did you get her pregnant? And all these things that all the world does around us, guys. And here we are saying, like, there's a way better way. There's a, so much of a better way to live your life. And by the way, there's an eternity involved that you're missing out on right now that you're going to spend in a different place. And so I want to tell you about heaven, a place that's amazing. I want to tell you about the way to get there. We share the good news. We open up the gates of this church and we let people in when we're salt and light, right? That's what we do. And the other thing that we as a church being salt and light does is this. It provides a safe haven for all of us to return to our city on the hill. It provides that safe place to be like, you know what? This week was crazy. I had a crazy week and it's been bad. And so we can come back and we can pray for one another and we can lift each other up and we can walk back out praying for those people that have done you wrong this all week or praying for those people that you might be like, man, I don't know how I'm going to go back to work and have that conversation. Or I don't know what's going on in my family because my spouse isn't a believer and it's tough. And so all these things, guys, this should be a city on a hill for us as well. So we're to shine it out, but it's a place of safety for us, isn't it? Jesus goes on further in the explanation and he says this, that we don't light a lamp and we put it under a basket. That's not like a huge basket. It's like, think of it like a little snuff. That's what he was saying. That's the word that's being described here. We don't, we don't light a lamp and then go boop and put it right out right away. That's not the point. That's what it's called whenever people are like, oh, I'm a Christian because I attended church on Christmas. Or, oh, I'm a Christian because I said a prayer one time and then my life looked like hell the rest of the time. That's what happened. I lit the lamp and I put it out. Now, it's not my place and it's not our place to know what that means in the light of, in light of God and what that means in the prayer. Did they say it in belief? Because we know God's word says if you pray and believe in your heart of what Jesus did on the cross to save you from your sins, you're saved. Right? He rose again for those. So I'm not judging, but what I'm saying is your life should look differently. And if it doesn't, where's your, where are you at with the Lord? You, I would be very afraid. He says, you put it where it shines. That's what you do with the light. You put it out so that it shines out to the rest of the household. That's the goal. Let's flip over to James because we're going to talk about this. There's a lot 
of people that you'll talk to and interact with, especially up here in New England that I found that'll say, I'm a Christian, but I don't really need church. Or I'm a Christian, but I don't need to like, you know, share everything and talk to them about all this stuff. Like I can just live my life and people will notice. And that might be true, but most of the time when you hear those people say it, you're like, but are you doing any of those things? Right? James chapter two, verse 14 says this. What does it profit, my brethren? If someone says he has faith but does not have works, can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food and one of you says to them, depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe there is one God, you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. But do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith, or but do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Your faith, guys, are shown by works. It's shown by works. And why does that matter? Well, because you guys remember back in Matthew what Jesus said. He said that the whole point of being a light on the hill, the whole point of being salt in the earth is that people could see your good works. See it. They should see it. It should be something that brings them to a question. Do you understand? So many people are like, I'm not going to talk about my faith. You shouldn't have to because people should be asking you about it. (laughs) That's the truth. If you're living a life that's different, if you're telling people like, man, I attend church casually in conversation, I promise you guys, because I do it all the time, is that people will come and talk, start talking to you about it. They'll ask you questions and you might hear some really whacked out stuff and that's okay. It gives you an opportunity to pray for them because it's the Holy Spirit that brings them to God anyway. It's not you. But guys, it's an opportunity for them to see something different in you to bring out a question. And when the question's asked, it's an open door. Let it rip. The door's open. Be like Kramer, you know, like, hey, like come up in the door and be like, all right, here I am. Let me tell you about it. You guys better know that Seinfeld reference. You guys... I heard that, Mary. You don't. Well, I'll tell you about it later. (laughs) Guys, you go, you show your faith through the works. And it doesn't mean that the works save you. It doesn't. Again, it's a natural outgrowth of a relationship with God that your works will be different. You will be merciful. You will do these things, and that is a work. It's a work that's being done in your heart, and then it's a work that's shown outwardly, isn't it? So ultimately, we do all things to bring glory to God and not ourselves. And so when there's a work and they're like, man, that was really nice of you that you were so merciful to that person. Again, wide open door. Guess why I'm merciful? Because Jesus was merciful to me first. It's a wide open door. I I think we sometimes don't realize how many wide open doors we have right in front of us. That all we have to do is jump through it and say something. Let's do that. Let's be that. So. Great Bay Calvary, concluding. I want us to be salt and light in this terribly bland and dark world. That's what I want. And that's something I'm praying for. And that's not something we're going to work up. That's not something that we're going to womp up in ourselves. That's something that only comes through time in the word, through time in prayer, through time at church being lifted up by one another, through that time of really being honest with one another and open with one another and saying the things that are hard, right? God's word says, like, confess your sins one to another. That's hard, but it's the best thing ever in the world is when we're honest with that one or two people that we trust in the church and we say, man, I'm struggling with this. Can you pray for me? 
right? So that we can go out into the world and be salt and be light. Let's go have an impact. Let's be the hands and feet of Jesus. And the other thing is, is that these things, they're not options. They're not options to us. If you're here today and you say, Jesus, you are my Lord and Savior, well, then let him be the Lord of your life and listen. And I'm talking to me too. Let's pray. God, your word is so full and rich, Lord, and it's so countercultural and hard. And, oh, Lord, I admit, Lord, there's times that I read your word and it's offensive to my American mindset, God, and I love it. God, as we dig into your word and as we as a church, Father, seek to serve you, God, would you help us to see that obedience is the first thing? Obedience to your word. Lord, not in legalism, but just in a heart of love and knowing that you love us and that if these are true in our lives, Lord, we are, we are just so blessed. God, we're blessed when we're meek and we're blessed, God, when we're peacemakers. And we're blessed, Father, when we are even being persecuted, God, because we know the enemy's ticked off. We know, God, that our life is shining brightly and People's eyes are being seared that are in the world, Lord, and they have to do something about it. They've got to either change and come to know you, Lord, or they've got to run away. Those are the only two choices. And so, God, as we walk through this life and as we do our best, Father, every day, knowing that the time is short, God, I want to bring as many along as we can, Lord God. As many, as Father, as you have already said are coming. But, God, if we get to be the person that brings the last person to you, Lord, that we get to introduce this last human being on the earth that is going to come to you and you know that day, you know that person. Father, if that's it and we get to do that, how awesome is that, God? God, help us to be salty. Help us, Father, to be discerning in our saltiness. Lord, to know when we're supposed to be the sting in a wound, Lord, and when instead, Father, we're supposed to be savory and just tasty to those around us, Lord. And only you can tell us what that looks like and when it is, Father. We, we need you. We need you in every way. I pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. If you're here today and you're saying, hey, I know what my life's been and I, I need to rededicate. Can I encourage you? I'm putting some work on y'all because we so often we just say a prayer and, and that's awesome and it's, it's good. But I just I feel like there's a level of us having to do a little work to get somewhere. So if that's you today and you are like, man, I need to rededicate my life. Can I say that Steve is standing in the back? I'm standing in the back. Grab a brother or a sister that you trust here and, and own it. Own where you've been and ask God to bring you back. Repent. If you're here and you're not a believer, can I tell you, we're back there. Come and ask. We'd love to pray with you. We'd love to tell you more about who Jesus is and what he's done. If you're online, hit the contact us button at greatbaycalvary.com and say, I want to chat with you and I want a free coffee from you, pastor. I would be glad to buy you one and talk with you. Let's pray.